This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. Our nation has been devastated by mass incarceration, especially for Black people. And uh, we are trying to pull as many women out of incarceration and support them become to become a greater and bigger and better part of our community. This week, my guest is Susan Burton, a woman who has a story to tell and is helping others tell their story as well as a powerful tool for change. Miss Burton is the founder of a new way of life, Reentry Project, offering multidimensional solutions to the effects of mass incarceration. Experiencing firsthand the difficulty of reentering society after incarceration, Miss Burton has made it her mission to help women at this critical juncture with much needed services, shelter, and advocacy. Having been described, as the modern-day Harriet Tubman, in our conversation, Ms. Burton asked the real question, what does it say about us that we need a modern-day Harriet Tubman in the 21st century? Thank you so much, Ms. Burton, for sitting down and talking to me. I'm so excited to have you on Everyday Ubuntu. And with that, I'd like to start with the question that I ask all of my guests, and it has to do with resumes and how they're sort of the parameters we've we've used to allow people to move through life and excel in the way that we think they should when they're looking for new jobs and opportunities. But my mom always says that resumes are not a full explanation of who we are as a person. And because of that, I want to ask you if there's something missing from your resume that you think people should know about you. Sure. So um, thank you for that. And thank you, mother, for that. Uh, the mother always has some, you know, good, good um, lessons and reason for us. So, you know, my resume is what I've accomplished, I guess you might say. But it doesn't speak to what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And there's always a journey um, right. for each and every one of us that is an important part of, of the the outcome. Well, so then I also think it's more interesting, you know, when we have people describe themselves. So could you give us a brief description of who you are? Um, so I guess at this point, um, I would be referred to as the elder uh, in the community. And that's, and I'm okay with that. Um, it took me some adjusting, some kind of adjusting to get kind of like, you ain't no young girl no more. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, you know, you've lived through a lot and you have a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. And that's what elders do. Um, And then they kind of get out of the way and let the younger folks uh, do some things while supporting them. Right. Um, And I would also uh, describe myself as totally determined. Uh, determined to lift, determined to build, uh, determined to heal, um, and be that part of the world that does those things. Um, so, um, and of course, I am woman and I am strong. So, <laughs> yeah. well, okay. So, speaking of determined, you are the founder of a new way of life. Could you share the mission of A New Way of Life and more about what it does? Yeah. A New Way of Life is an organization that was um, 
uh, created uh, based on my experience and my needs. Uh, and what we do is that we provide women supports to uh, come back into the community after a period of incarceration. Uh, we help them reunite with their children. We also do some legal uh, work uh, and um, we, we, we help people uh, with post-conviction relief and we do some advocacy and some organizing. A matter of fact, right there where you are in Atlanta, Mm-hmm. You'll probably see some billboards saying um, your vote counts. Don't let them count you out. Um, the formerly incarcerated and convicted people's movement uh, put up billboards all across uh, Georgia, inspiring and encouraging those that have criminal records to right. get out and vote. Uh, so we do the um, uh, uh, voter education uh, voter uh, mobilization, uh, voter registration, uh, that, you know, folks, people who have been um, um, disenfranchised, uh, we uh, help them to be re-enfranchised. We also have, have done a couple of lawsuits around people uh, being taken off voter rolls illegally. We're a service and civil and human rights uh, advocacy organization. Our our nation has been devastated by mass incarceration, uh, especially for black people. Um, um, And uh, we are trying to pull as many women out of incarceration and support them to become a greater and bigger and better part of our community. Right. We, we're definitely going to speak about, you know, the issue of mass incarceration in the U.S., um, but I would love to have you share the origin story behind A New Way of Life. I guess I would say I endured a lot as a Black woman, a Black poor woman in Los Angeles. And at one point, I just could not endure and hold any more pain. Uh, my son, uh, KK, uh, he was five years old and he was accidentally killed by an LAPD detective. Um, he ran him over uh, and it just devastated me. It just turned my world upside down. I could not hold the pain. I could not hold the grief. And I began to drink. Uh, I drank to drown the pain. Um, uh, that escalated to drug use. It was the early 80s. Our communities had been saturated with this new substance called crack, and uh, my my drinking, my alcoholism escalated to consumption of this crack, which was an illegal substance, and I was incarcerated for using it. And I was incarcerated over and over and over again, and I asked for help. Um, I cried out for help through the courts through, there was nothing in the community to help, to help me. And um, after 20 years of that, I ended up uh, finding a place in uh, Santa Monica that actually did help me. And I couldn't understand why people in Santa Monica had resources and were not um, uh, committed to prison for uh, drug, drug use and drug possession they were given help, and I couldn't understand why in South LA uh, we were not given help. We were uh, chained and sentenced to 
work and our labor was exploited as a use of a as a result of our our uh, drug use um and it was just like two worlds you know right. five miles apart but there was one of the um wealthy and the white and then there was one of the poor and the black and the brown community so um when I found help, I, I figured I could help somebody else. And I um, saved, saved a few dollars. You know, I'm a good saver. Uh, my mother used to say a penny saved is a penny earned. And I um, saved up uh, some money from a small little job I had uh, helping seniors. And I got this little house and I named the house A New Way of Life. And I would go to the bus station where women were getting off the bus and I would offer them a place of safety in South LA, a place that had been devastated by the war on drugs, a place that so many women were being sucked up in a way and punished for the drug use. Um, and we were this, this little this little sprinkle of water in the desert of desperation in South LA. And that started the building of a new way of life. So we all slept in the same house together and we all made uh, ends meet and we all recovered. Um, I am 23 years sober now. Um, Congrats. Yeah, we all made a way out, you know, but what I, what I did see there is that the women were trying to get their children back. Uh, I couldn't get my child back, but I could help another woman to get her child back. Mm -hmm. And no matter what she did, um, she didn't have a place to take those children. So she lose they she lose her kid just like I had lost my kid, and it was devastating to watch that. So we have a um, really robust family reunification program now uh, to help women get their children back. Um, so um, that's another big problem in our nation. Uh, and I feel like it's a, a reinvention um, of, of uh, family separation through mass incarceration and what we call a department in children, family services, or child protective services, or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another mechanism that um, that um, holds that holds on to the old ways, but it's made legitimate through these through these departments, these state departments. Um, so it's a state state sanctioned um, kidnap and child removal. Right. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, this question, tell me if it's, you know, formatted incorrectly, but I wonder what can I as an individual or my listeners do to help formerly incarcerated people reenter society and actually thrive? Well, there's always things that we can do. And I hope that the one thing that they did yesterday was to gotta get out and vote, vote for people, uh, who are going to um, uh, create opportunity uh, for everybody, not mm -hmm. just the um, um, uh, wealthy and the white, 
uh, that's going to create opportunity for for all of us uh, and solutions to our nation's problems. So, first of all, if you're listening <laughs> and you went out yesterday and you voted, I want to let you know that uh, um, I feel like you're part of the heroic, uh, the heroes of this nation that is standing up for change. Um, you know, there are different ways people can make investments to, um, if there's a local place that you want to support who are providing services uh, for formerly incarcerated people, uh, support that local place. Uh, if there are um, uh, jobs that you can uh, give to people or training you can give to people, uh, uh, give those jobs and give that those training, not just the training, but a connection to the end of the training. I mean, people are in different places throughout government where they work. They can create openings. They can create opportunity. They can stop punishing people after they've been released. Mm -hmm. They can recognize that the sentence has been served and no longer should people be being punished. Um, for a crime that uh, they've paid their debt on. They can work toward uh, uh, advocating for alternatives for people to not be imprisoned, um, to not be uh, chained and, and work as a slave. Um, one person asked me about uh, what would I say to a person that was not a that believe people should be punished and people should be uh, locked up and chained up and put in in cages. Um, and what I what I thought was that that person needs to understand that they're they they're an advocate for slavery because that's what prison represents in our nation. It hasn't been something that rehabilitates or corrects. It has been something that punishes and exploits labor. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when they, you know, the fires in California and they use prisoners to put out the dangerous fires and pay them nothing. Yeah. Uh, in my book. Um, so I have a book called Becoming Miss Burton mm -hmm. uh, from prison to recovery to leading the fight for incarcerated women. I write about in that book that um, it, I was sent to a what they call a classification committee. And that committee um, uh, classified me to go to fire camp and fight fires. And I'm like, I don't want to be a firefighter. Um, I'm not, I'm not going, you know, I, I'm not fighting those fires. Um, and, but I had no choice. And if I didn't go and fight fires, if I didn't go and get trained to become a firefighter, if for every day I didn't go fight fires, I would have to stay in prison a day longer. I figured some stuff out. And if I did not pass the physical test, mm -hmm. they could not send me on the mountain to fight a fire. So I trained every day, six <laughs> hours a day for four months. And when it came time to do the physical uh, test, mm -hmm. I, I just flunked it every time. I just wouldn't do it. I wasn't going to fight fires. You know, they talked about, oh, you out in the in the in the wilderness and you're not behind the link fence. I'm not going up the mountain to cup to fight fires.
So yeah, they uh, pay people a dollar a day to fight those wildfires. And then they come back and they can't get a job as a firefighter in their own community. So something's wrong with that. Absolutely wrong. Um, so you mentioned your son dying when he was five because he was run over by a policeman. And, you know, we're now in 2021. And I wonder if the the police brutality of 2020 has been something difficult for you to cope with. Yeah. Um, so... Every time um, a policeman kills a black man, um, I feel the sorrow of the loss of what they did or what they're doing. Um, And I remember the morning that uh, the Trayvon Martin verdict came out. It was a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And this man killed this young boy and He was not held accountable. And I was riding down um, King Boulevard in Los Angeles. And I just had to stop and pull over for a minute. And then I went to my church and sat in the back of the church and just allowed tears to stream uh, and just let some of the sorrow out of what this nation will do and allow others to do to us uh, without any uh, accountability, any, um, you know, just as if we don't matter. Right. Uh, And that's why we are, that's why right now uh, uh, the nation is reckoning with Black Lives Matter. And I know, you know, that we matter, but um, but with these uh, folks who are, um, I don't know, law enforcement, you know, the police, right? Um, much of the government, you know, we don't matter. So again, you know, we need a, a new government and we have a new administration coming in. And I hope they keep in the forefront uh, this nation's history and correct as much of it as they can while they're in office. That's the hope. That is that is the hope. So, I mean, I wonder if in your these tough moments you've had, if there's a quote or a phrase or a mantra that sustains you, and if so, what is that? You know, what I do and what I hope to accomplish and the goals of freedom, the goals of, of power, uh, the goals of leadership for our community uh, sort of keeps me going. When I see little kids running around the house and they're safe and their moms are safe, uh, that sort of stuff keeps me going. When um, I received an envelope a few days ago and it had um, about 90 cents in it, tapes. And uh, it had a message, I want to help. This is all I have to give. That keeps me going. Some little Jewish boys sent me a um, 
um, a check for, I think it was $1,200 and wow. said, and said they were doing Sadaka and that they had collected their pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters and wanted to help a woman go to school. If I would pick a woman and help her go to go to school with this money uh, that they sent, um, that keeps me going. So there are so many things that keep me going. There's not one thing. Uh, and then again, and then I really believe in God and I really believe in my higher power. I really believe that my uh, steps in my path is ordained and lighted and that keeps me going. Matter of fact, that path clears a lot of stuff out of the way for me <laughs> <laughs> that, that I can, that I can accomplish, you know, um, uh, what I feel is God, God's will in my life that keeps me going. I love that. And then my next question is, I wonder, what does dignity look like to you? It looks like someone knowing and owning their their purpose and their voice and living in that and standing in that, no matter what, um, you know, comes along that tries to diminish it. And things will come along that try to diminish it and seems like it will diminish it. But just knowing that is dignity, um, uh, having a direction and, and working toward that direction is dignity. Um, you know, it's not about how much you have, it's about who you are and what you do with, you know, who you are, who do do with your life and your person. So, I mean, it could be, I guess, defined in so many ways for so many different individuals. Uh, but for me personally, dignity is um, continuing to be the best person that I can be. Um, and me defining that, not outer influences or, outer perceptions defining that well you being the best person you can be i have seen that you've been described as the modern day harriet tubman so how does that make you feel um it actually makes me feel feel a little sad that here we are in 2021 and we're still trying to find a path to freedom. Mm -hmm. So it says, what has actually changed? I mean, it could be like, oh, yeah. Right. 21st century Harriet Tubman. Why do we need a Harriet Tubman in the 21st century? Why do we need a Harriet Tubman in the 21st century? And we're on the moon. We're living in space but we're still trying to find paths to freedom, mm -hmm. paths to dignity, paths to purpose, because um, it's always been trying to be taken and robbed from, you know, Black people. And I want to say, especially Black women. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then how, you know, how do we fix a society that relies so heavily on incarceration? So um, I think that, you know, we're in the process of it and it's and it's 
And it's unfortunate something comes by like coronavirus, like COVID-19, shakes the world and wakes them up. And we begin to look at what we have been valuing and how we have been operating and start thinking about what could we do better. So um, I think that, you know, I'm just living it, watching it, working towards, you know, internet. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we are building safe houses all across the nation that as we decarcerate this country, we can actually have places for people to go. Uh, that's one of the goals and missions that I'm working on right now is equipping communities to uh, to uh, have a have a, a safety net for those being released. Uh, So I think, you know, we have to look at healing instead of punishment, at opportunity instead of of punishment. Um, So I wonder who who are the women or the people who have inspired you? Oh, I have so many uh, uh, people who have inspired me. Uh, Michelle Alexander is a great example mm-hmm. of someone who continually it's, inspires me. Um, Angela Davis, the way she's fought and haven't given up has inspired me. Um, the woman who walks out the prison door and says, I want to work with you. I want to be a part of this. That inspires me. Uh, but, you know, there's not any one inspiration. I think we all have to find continual inspirations to stay encouraged. Um, uh, uh, so, yeah, a lot of things inspire me. Maya Angelou uh, uh, has a poem that says, I'm not afraid. I read it often and it inspires me. Do you have a some piece of advice that you've either received or that you think that you always share with people that you could share with my listeners? So if people have a dream and um, and no one else believes in the dream, be okay with that because the universe, God gave the dream to you to believe in and go after that dream. Don't be discouraged from achieving that dream. Um, uh, dreams is what's going to get us to, I think, a better world. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my um, that's my advice. When I started this, no one believed, but it was my dream, and I wanted it, so I did it. And look, look at this now. Yeah, look at it. So thank you for your dream. All right. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to ask you our two closeout questions that I really love to ask guests. And the first one is, what is your greatest fear for humanity? My greatest fear for humanity is that it will not get to op- the opportunity to see all the potential that folks have because of biases and 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 racism. So that's my biggest fear for our humanity is that it loses um, the advantages of all the great minds and great um, uh, uh, people and all the potential that folks have. What is your greatest hope for humanity? That it will not rob us of the uh, great power and intellect and 
gifts that uh, everyone in our nation has to uh, bestow upon our our nation, not only our nation, but our world. Well, I'm I'm here with you, and I, I second that hope as well. All right. Ms. Burton, thank you so much for speaking with me. You are welcome. It was lovely, and stay safe and have a good new year. You stay, to, you stay safe too, and um, you guys are, are making it happen down there in Georgia. We're trying. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.